Book Four, Canto Five of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Five. The ladies with a girdle strive of famous Florimel. Scudamore coming to Care's house doth sleep from him expel. It hath been through all ages ever seen that with the praise of arms and chivalry the prize of beauty still hath joined been, and that for reasons special privity. For either doth on other much rely, for he meseems most fit the fair to serve that can her best defend from villainy, and she most fit his service doth deserve that fairest is, and from her faith will never swerve. So fitly now here cometh next in place after the proof of prowess ended well, the controverse of beauty's sovereign grace, in which, to her that doth the most excel, shall fall the girdle of fair Florimel, that many wish to win for glory vain, and not for virtuous use, which some do tell that glorious belt did in itself contain, which ladies ought to love and seek for to obtain. That girdle gave the virtue of chaste love and wivehood true to all that did it bear. But whosoever contrary doth prove might not the same about her middle wear, but it would loose or else asunder tear. While it was, as fairies want report, Dame Venus' girdle by her steamed dear, or time she used to live in wively sort, but laid aside when so she used her looser sport. Her husband Vulcan, while on for her sake, when first he loved her with heart entire, this precious ornament they say did make, and wrought in lemno with unquenched fire, and afterwards did for her love's first hire give it to her, for ever to remain, therewith to bind lascivious desire and loose affection straightly to restrain, which virtue it for ever after did retain. The same one day when she herself disposed to visit her beloved paramour, the god of war, she from her middle loosed, and left behind her in her secret bower, on Acidalian mount, where many an hour she with the pleasant graces wont to play. There Florimel in her first age's flower was fostered by those graces, as they say, and brought with her from thence that goodly belt away. That goodly belt was Cestus hight by name, and as her life by her esteemed dear. No wonder, then, if that to win the same so many ladies sought as shall appear, for peerless she was thought that did it bear. And now, by this, their feast all being ended, the judges which thereto selected were into the Martian field adown descended, to deem this doubtful case for which they all contended. But first was question made which of those knights that lately turned had the wager won. There was it judged by those worthy whites that Saturnine the first day best had done, for he last ended, having first begun. The second was to Triamond behight, for that he saved the victor from fordone. For Campbell victor was in all men's sight, till by mishap he in his foeman's hand did light. The third day's prize unto that stranger knight, whom all men termed knight of the Heban spear, to Britomart, 
was given by good right, for that with puissant stroke she down did bear the salvage knight, that victor was Wilair, and all the rest which had the best afore, and to the last unconquered did appear, for last is deemed best. To her, therefore, the fairest lady was adjudged for paramour, but thereat greatly grudged Artigal, and much repined that both of victor's meed and eke of honor she did him forestall. Yet mote he not withstand what was decreed, but inly thought of that despiteful deed fit time to wait, avenged for to be. This being ended thus, and all agreed, then next ensued the paragon to see of beauty's praise, and yield the fairest her due fee. Then first Cambello brought unto their view his fair Cambina, covered with a veil, which, being once withdrawn, most perfect hue and passing beauty did eftsoons reveal, that Abel was weak hearts away to steal. Next did Sir Triamond unto their sight the face of his dear Canacy unheal, whose beauty's beam eftsoons did shine so bright that dazed the eyes of all as with exceeding light. And after her did Paradel produce his false duessa, that she might be seen, who with her forged beauty did seduce the hearts of some that fairest did her wean, as diverse wits affected diverse bean. Then did Sir Pharamond unto them shew his Lucida, that was full fair and sheen, and after these an hundred ladies mo appeared in place, which each other did outgo. All which whoso dare think for to enchase him needeth sure a golden pen i ween to tell the feature of each goodly face for since the day that they created been so many heavenly faces were not seen assembled in one place now he that thought for chion folk to portrait beauty's queen by view of all the fairest to him brought so many fair did see as here he might have sought at last the most redoubted britannus her lovely amoret did open shoe, whose face discovered plainly did express the heavenly portrait of bright angel's hue. Well weened all which her that time did view, that she should surely bear the bell away, till Blandamour, who thought he had the true and very Florimel, did her display, the sight of whom, once seen, did all the rest dismay. For all afore that seemed fair and bright, now base and contemptible did appear, compared to her that shone as Phoebe's light amongst the lesser stars in evening clear. All that her saw with wonder ravished were, and weened no mortal creature she should be, but some celestial shape that flesh did bear. Yet all were glad their Florimel to see, yet thought that Florimel was not so fair as she. As guileful goldsmith, that by secret skill with golden foil doth finely overspread some baser metal, which commend he will unto the vulgar for good gold instead, he much more goodly gloss thereon doth shed to hide his falsehood than if it were true. So hard this idol was to be a red, that Florimel herself in all men's view she seemed to pass, so forged things do fairest shew. 
Then was that golden belt by doom of all granted to her as to the fairest dame, which being brought about her middle small they thought to gird as best it her became. But by no means they could it there to frame, for ever as they fastened it, it loosed and fell away as feeling secret blame. Full oft about her waist she it enclosed, and it as oft was from about her waist disclosed, that all men wondered at the uncouth sight, and each one thought as to their fancies came. But she herself did think it done for spite, and touched was with secret wrath and shame therewith, as thing devised her to defame. Then many other ladies likewise tried about their tender loins to knit the same, but it would not on none of them abide. But when they thought it fast, eftsoons it was untied. Which, when that scornful squire of dames did view, he loudly gan to laugh and thus to jest. Alas, for pity that so fair a crew as like cannot be seen from east to west, cannot find one this girdle to invest. Fie on the man that did it first invent, to shame us all with this ungirt, unblessed. Let never lady to his love assent that hath this day so many so unmanly shent. Thereat all knights can laugh, and ladies lower, till that at last the gentle amoret likewise essayed to prove that girdle's power, and having it about her middle set, did find it fit without an breach or let. Whereat the rest gan greatly to envy, but Florimel exceedingly did fret, and snatching from her hand half angrily the belt again, about her body gan it tie. Yet not the more would it her body fit, yet not the less to her as her due right it yielded was by them that judged it, and she herself adjudged to the knight that bore the heban spear as one in fight. But Britomart would not thereto assent, nay her own amoret forgo so light for that strange dame whose beauty's wonderment she less esteemed than the other's virtuous government. Whom, when the rest did see her to refuse, they were full glad in hope themselves to get her. Yet at her choice they all did greatly muse, but after that the judges did arret her unto the second best that loved her better. That was the savage knight, but he was gone in great displeasure that he could not get her. Then was she judged Sir Triamon his one, but Triamond loved Canacy and other none. Though unto Saturnine she was adjudged, who was right glad to gain so goodly mead, but Blandimore thereat full greatly grudged, and little praised his labor's evil speed, that for to win the saddle lost the steed. Nay, less thereat did Paradel complain, and thought to peel from that which was decreed to single combat with Sir Saturnine. Thereto him at a stirred, new discord to maintain. And eke with these, Full many other knights she through her wicked working did incense, her to demand and challenge as their rights, deserved for their perils recompense. Amongst the rest, with boastful vain pretense, stepped Bregadocho forth, and as his thrall her claimed, by him in battle won long since, where to herself he did to witness call, who being asked, accordingly confessed all. 
thereat exceeding wroth was Saturan, and wroth with Saturan was Blandamore, and wroth with Blandamore was Erevan, and at them both Sir Paradel did lower. So all together stirred up strifeful stour, and ready were new battle to terrain. Each one professed to be her paramour, and vowed with spear and shield it to maintain. A judge's power and a reason's rule mote them restrain. Which troublous stir when Saturnine advised, he gan to cast how to appease the same, and to accord them all this means devised. First, in the midst, to set that fairest dame, to whom each one his challenge should disclaim, and he himself his right would eke release. Then look to whom she voluntary came, he should without disturbance her possess. Sweet is the love that comes alone with willingness. They all agreed, and then that snowy maid was in the middest placed among them all. All on her gazing wished and vowed and prayed, and to the queen of beauty close did call that she unto their portion might befall. Then when she long had looked upon each one, as though she wished to have pleased them all, at last to Bragadocho's self alone she came of her accord, in spite of all his foam. Which when they all beheld, they chafed and raged and walked nigh mad for very heart's despite, that from revenge their wills they scarce assuaged. Some thought from him her to have reft by might, some proffer made with him for her to fight, but he not cared for all that they could say, for he their words as wind esteemed light. Yet not fit place he thought it there to stay, but secretly from thence that night her bore away. They which remained, so soon as they perceived that she was gone, departed thence with speed and followed them, in mind her to have reaved from white unworthy of so noble me, in which pursuit, how each one did succeed shall else be told in order as it fell. But now of Britomart it here doth need the hard adventures and strange haps to tell, since with the rest she went not after Florimel. For soon as she them sought discord set, her list no longer in that place abide, but taking with her lovely amoret, upon her first adventure forth did ride to seek her loved, making blind love her guide unlucky maid to seek her enemy unlucky maid to seek him far and wide whom when he was unto herself most nigh she through his late disguisement could him not descry so much the more her grief the more her toil yet neither toil nor grief she once did spare in seeking him that should her pain assoil where to great comfort in her sad misfare was Amoret, companion of her care, who likewise sought her lover long miswent, the gentle Scudamore, whose heart while e'er that strifeful hag with jealous discontent had filled, that he to fell revenge was fully bent. Bent to revenge on blameless Britomart, the crime which cursed Attic kindled erst, the which like thorns did prick his jealous heart and through his soul like poisoned arrow pursed, that by no reason it might be reversed for aught that Glauce could or do or say. For aye, the more that she the same rehearsed, the more it galled and grieved him night and day, that not but dire revenge his anger mote defray. So as they travelled, 
the drooping night covered with cloudy storm and bitter shower that dreadful seemed to every living wight upon them fell before her timely hour that forced them to seek some covered bower where they might hide their heads in quiet rest and shroud their persons from that stormy stour not far away not meet for any guest they spied a little cottage like some poor man's nest under a steep hill's side it place it was there where the mouldered earth had caved the bank and fast beside a little brook did pass of muddy water that like puddles stank by which few crooked sallows grew in rank where to approaching nigh they heard the sound of many iron hammers beating rank and answering their weary turns around that seemed some blacksmith dwelt in that desert ground there entering in they found the good man's self full busily unto his work event who was to wheat a wretched wearish elf with hollow eyes and raw-boned cheeks forspent as if he had in prison long been pent full black and grisly did his face appear besmeared with smoke that nigh his eyesight blent with rugged beard and hoary shagged hair the which he never wont to comb or comely share rude was his garment and to rags all rent ne better had he ne for better cared with blistered hands amongst the cinders brent and fingers filthy with long nails unpaired right fit to rend the food on which he fared his name was care a blacksmith by his trade that neither day nor night from working spared but to small purpose iron wedges made those be unquiet thoughts that careful minds invade in which his work he had six servants pressed about his anvil standing evermore with huge great hammers that did never rest from heaping strokes which thereon soused sore all six strong grooms but one than other more for by degrees they all were disagreed so likewise did the hammers which they bore like bells in greatness orderly succeed that he which was the last the first did far exceed he like a monstrous giant seemed in sight far passing brontius or pyracmon great the which in lipari do day and night frame thunderbolts for jove's avengeful threat so dreadfully he did the anvil beat that seemed to dust he shortly would it drive so huge his hammer and so fierce his heat that seemed a rock of diamond it could rive and rend asunder quite if he thereto list strive sir scudamore there entering much admired the manner of their work and weary pain and having long beheld at last inquired the cause and end thereof but all in vain for they for naught would from their work refrain they let his speeches come unto their ear and eke the breathful bellows blew amain like to the northern wind that none could hear those pensiveness did move and sighs the bellows were which when that warrior saw he said no more but in his armor laid him down to rest to rest he laid him down upon the floor while home for venturous knights the bedding best and thought his weary limbs to have redressed and that old aged dame his faithful squire her feeble joints laid eke down to rest that needed much her weak age to desire after so long a travel which them both did pyre 
There lay Sir Scudamore, long while expecting when gentle sleep his heavy eyes would close, oft changing sides, and oft new place electing, where better seemed he mote himself repose, and oft in wrath he thence again uprose, and oft in wrath he laid him down again. But wheresoe'er he did himself dispose, he by no means could wished ease obtain, so every place seemed painful and each changing vain and evermore when he to sleep did think the hammer sound his senses did molest and evermore when he began to wink the bellows noise disturbed his quiet rest and suffered sleep to settle in his breast and all the night the dogs did bark and howl about the house at scent of stranger guest and now the crowing cock and now the owl loud shrieking him afflicted to the very soul and if by fortune any little nap upon his heavy eyelids chanced to fall, eftsoons one of those villains did him rap upon his headpiece with his iron maul, that he was soon awaked therewithal, and lightly started up as one afraid, or as if one him suddenly did call. So oftentimes he out of sleep abrayed, and then lay musing long on that him ill apaid. So long he mused, and so long he lay, that at the last his weary sprite oppressed with fleshly weakness which no creature may long time resist gave place to kindly rest that all his senses did full soon arrest yet in his soundest sleep his daily fear his idle brain gan busily molest and made him dream those too disloyal were the things that day most minds at night do most appear with that the wicked carl the maester smith a pair of red-hot iron tongs did take out of the burning cinders and therewith under his side him nipped that forced to wake he felt his heart for very pain to quake and started up avenged for to be on him the which his quiet slumber break yet looking round about him none could see yet did the smart remain though he himself did flee in such disquiet and heart-fretting pain he all that night that too long night did pass and now the day out of the ocean main began to peep above this earthly mass with pearly dew sprinkling the morning grass then up he rose like heavy lump of lead that in his face as in a looking-glass the signs of anguish one most plainly read and guess the man to be dismayed with jealous dread Unto his lofty steed he clomb anon, and forth upon his former voyage fared, and with him eke that aged squire atone, who whatsoever peril was prepared, both equal pains and equal peril shared. The end whereof, and dangerous event, shall for another canticle be spared. But here my weary team, nigh overspent, shall breathe itself a while after so long a went. End of Canto 5 Recording by Thomas Copeland